They're not spending a lot extra, but they're spending a little bit extra, and that's just enough to push these numbers into positive territory. Hello, and welcome if to NPR's Planet Money. I'm Alex Bloomberg. And I'm David Kestenbaum. Today is Friday, May 14th. That was Britt Beamer, chairman of America's Research Group. You heard at the top talking about some of the positive signs in the retail market. Today on the program, the most lucrative but unprofitable business in the world. First, the Planet Money Indicator. And here with it is our own Planet Money blogger, Jacob Goldstein. Jacob, what do you got for us today? What I got for you guys, $1.25. That today is enough to buy you a euro. That's that's actually pretty cheap. I remember when it cost like a buck fifty. Yeah, right. It, it's actually the cheapest it's been for about a year and a half, uh, which is particularly notable today because you know it's just a few days ago that there was that big trillion dollar bailout package for Europe. But really, the bailout package made people less nervous about Greece and other countries defaulting on their bonds, but it didn't really ease concerns about Europe's economy overall. So investors are saying. The economy is going to be sort of slow in Europe. I'm not going to need as many euros as maybe I thought I did. So there's less demand for euros, and that's why the value of the euro declines. Right. And, you know, that's coming in in large part out of these austerity measures that go hand in hand with the bailout, right? So if these other Southern European countries wind up needing some of this bailout money, they're going to have to do painful things like raising taxes and cutting spending. And, you know, these things are basically, it's like having an anti-stimulus plan. <laughs> like an economic depressant. It's sort of like putting all of Southern Europe on barbiturates. Right. It is the 70s all over again, isn't it? So, right. So, so in Greece, the economy is actually likely to keep shrinking for the foreseeable future. And for, for some of the other countries in Southern Europe, really the best they can hope for now is really slow growth. And, and as a result, people are, are worried about the euro. Well, thank you very much, Jacob, for that uplifting indicator, as always. <laughs> always a pleasure, guys. <laughs> All right. So from Europe, we move across the ocean to the west coast of America, Hollywood specifically, and we're going to be talking about Hollywood economics. And Dave, I got interested in this after I was listening to a recent interview with Michael Lewis on WHYY's Fresh Air. Michael Lewis, of course, is the author of The Big Short and numerous other books. He was talking to Terry Gross on Fresh Air. And they were talking about The Big Short, but then they got to talking about this other book that he wrote, The Blind Side, which people might know was recently turned into a movie starring Sandra Bullock. And Sandra Bullock just recently won an Oscar for her role in that movie. And so Terry Gross and Michael Lewis were talking about what that was like for him having this movie made. The whole experience is fabulous. Who would have thought? Who would have thought that The Blind Side would win an Oscar? And um, since you write about finance so much, was the book purchased outright or do you get some kind of points for... <laughs> <laughs> Are you asking me if I got rich off the movie? This is what happens. Uh, when I wrote my first book, Liar's Poker, Tom Wolfe, the author, took me out to lunch and he said to me about the movie business, have nothing to do with it. Go across the country, hurl your book in, have them hurl the money out and come back as fast as possible. And uh, that's sort of what happens. You don't keep a stake, even if you in- try to insist on it. I suppose maybe John Grisham does, but I don't. You get what's called net profits. And there are no such thing as net profits. They give them to you because they're <laughs> no such thing. So you never see a nickel. Because so of the accounting. The blind side, I think, costs $29 million to make and another $20 million to promote. And it's going to take in $400 million when it's all said and done with the DVD sales. And it will not make a cent. And if you can figure it out how they do that, you know, more power to you. David, 
look up in the sky, a dollar sign on the clouds. <laughs> <laughs> this is a job for Planet Money. Michael Lewis, challenge accepted. If there's anyone as obsessed with explaining arcane and complex financial transactions as you are, it is us here at Planet Money. So we're going to try and figure out why you didn't get a dime off that movie. And to help us figure that out, we're going to the go-to guy when it comes to Hollywood economics, this guy, Edward J. Epstein. So Epstein has written a number of books about the inner workings of Hollywood finance. His most recent is called The Hollywood Economist, The Hidden Financial Reality Behind the Movies. He recently spoke with our very own Adam Davidson, who started the interview by asking him, is Michael Lewis right? Is there really no such thing as net profits? There's truth to it. I think 80% of movies do not show a net profit. So it is true, but it's also true that a lot of people in Hollywood do make money off movies, even if the movies themselves don't make money. And this gets into the crazy world of Hollywood accounting. And so we're going to look at this. And to explain, Epstein took Adam through a fairly typical movie. The movie is gone in 60 seconds, which had uh, Nicolas Cage in it, and it was about... Angelina Jolie? Angela Jolie, and it was about stealing cars. I don't want to see people get hurt. I just want you to slow down. Well, I couldn't. Because I wasn't ready. You're straight now? Yeah, I am, because it wasn't the same without you. Oh. We had the same conversation around here when you were in India, Dave. So this, so Epstein has what's called the uh, participation report, which is basically just the paperwork from Disney that lays out all the finances of the movie. But also he says it's a perfect example of this strange situation. It wasn't a blockbuster. It didn't actually make a profit, but it was considered a very successful movie. It was actually mentioned by Mike Eisner in the annual report as one of the most successful movies Disney had that year. And it grossed... $242 million. So let's see what happened to the $242 and, million. And just so we know, in, if Michael Eisner is generally in an annual report to your shareholders, if you say something was successful, that implies there was profit. There was net profit. Yes. <laughs> One yes. would think. <laughs> okay. So let's see what happened to the $242 million. From this impressive amount, the theaters kept $129.8 million. Movie theaters always keep about half, and remitted a balance to Disney's distributor, which is Buena Vista, of $101.6 million. Okay? So now we're down from a quarter of a billion to about $100 million. From this amount, they had to pay for advertising $67.4 million. After they paid these out-of-pocket expenses, advertising, logistics, customs, etc., what remained of the nearly quarter-billion-dollar gross was $11 million. The film cost $103.3 million to make. Okay? So the box office is done. And the movie has lost $90 million. The movie is $90 million in the red. All right. So it's $90 million in the red, but that's just on the box office. It's still got DVD sales, foreign sales, TV sales, all that other stuff. But amazingly, even when you add in those other sources of what you think would be revenue, those are money losers too. So they get even deeper in the red. And after everything... After television, after everything, I mean, you wind up, basically, this film is currently $212 million in red. So here we are. Disney's most successful movie of 2000 is $212 million in the red. And this is where the Hollywood accounting comes in. To understand how it works, you have to understand this one 
fairly counterintuitive thing, which is each movie is set up as its own corporation, its own company. So there's this movie, Gone in 60 Seconds, we've been talking about. And then there's Gone in 60 Seconds, Incorporated, the company. And the whole point of Gone in 60 Seconds, the company, is to lose money. Basically, by paying too much in fees to Disney. The very company that made the movie. Right? Exactly. So most corporations try to bring in more money than they spend, right? That is not the case for Gone in 60 Seconds or most Hollywood movies, those companies. They pay out a lot more than they bring in. They're losing money. And usually what they're paying out are what are called fees. And this is tricky to follow, but one of the biggest fees they pay out is to the studio that actually created the movie. It's called a distribution fee, and it's huge. Distribution fee is 35%. Or 30 to 35 percent, if it's a studio financed movie, of every penny that comes in from every source, including paid television, including uh, uh, network television, including games, whatever they sell, they take, of course, theaters, they take 35 percent. So the studio is going to get a fee no matter how much in the red. The movie is. Everyone in Hollywood has a fee. And that's the secret. Why everyone looks at this business and why isn't everyone broke? So, Alex, this to me, it sounds really stupid. (laughs) Why would you do it this way? Why does Disney do it this way? Why do all these movie companies do this? You go through this elaborate ritual of setting up a company that you know is probably going to lose money. And the way it loses money is by paying you huge amounts of fees. Uh, You know, it's actually a little bit of a mystery. (laughs) Part of it is historical accident. just started that way and it sort of went down this road. But part of it has to do with the nature of Hollywood and how it's important for people in Hollywood to be able to say, we are keeping up with the Jolie Pitts. In other words, the system allows people in Hollywood, directors, actors, producers, to claim to be making more than they're actually making. All right, that's still a little confusing. Let's let's try and work it out, right? Let's say I'm a big name, but I'm not a I'm not like a blockbuster actor or something. Paul Giamatti. Can I be someone a little less schlumpy? Oliver Platt. He's slumpy too, right? <laughs> oh, right. Mark <laughs> Ruffalo. All right, I like Mark Ruffalo. All right, so um, say I'm Mark Ruffalo. I'm up for a part, and I have to admit, my you know work's been a little slow and spotty for me. I really need this job, so. All right, I'll do it for just eight hundred thousand dollars. Ooh, ouch. <laughs> So the problem is your agent doesn't want anyone to know that you're willing to do that to settle for that paltry sum of $800,000. Your agent wants to make it look like you're making more, especially since you made more on your last movie. As Epstein explained to Adam, your agent wants to be able to quote a much higher figure than $800,000. The agent doesn't want to lower your quote because he wants to sell you again and again. It's a bad thing to be declining. So that's where you begin to negotiate contingent compensation, which is a percentage, which is what uh, Michael Lewis calls net, and it allows people to lie. And deception is a very important part of how Hollywood works. So if someone's normal quote on a movie is $10 million, but he might only be able to get a million or 800000 and there's not another movie in sight, so you're going to take the 800000 and you have to pay your bills. He doesn't want to tell people he has $800,000. So he says the entire contract is worth $10 million because of this contingent compensation. So movie stars, their 
if I'm if I want to hire a movie star, the movie star wants to be seen as a ten million dollar movie star or a twenty million dollar movie star. That they want every producer to think, oh, I got to pay ten million if if I'm going to get that guy. And it's not only movie stars; it's directors and producers. The secret they're most afraid that I'm going to reveal, because I managed to get the insurance contracts, which I had their actual salary, is their actual salary. So, Alex, the result of this is that it hides people's salaries. Everyone knows I'm not making the $10 million in my contract. They, don't, they know I'm making less, but they don't know how much. They don't know. Is it $8 million, $2 million, Maybe it's $5? They don't know. Exactly. And, but there's also one other reason why this system might persist. And that is because occasionally it does result in a payout. Occasionally, despite all the accountant's best efforts, a movie becomes so popular it can't help but make a profit. Movies make money. Uh, Michael Lewis is wrong. David Mamet's wrong. Even I'm wrong when I say they don't make money. Okay? They make money if they have a phenomenal box office to start. In other words, if, let's say, Avatar has a box office in America of $600 million, well, it pays its advertising and its cost of production and everything, and then, you know, it's, it's ahead, and then when all the other rights come in, it makes money. So Avatar probably will show a profit. Uh, Avatar will definitely show a profit. Spider-Man will. The big movies. Alex Epstein says actually the best chances a movie has of making a profit is if the movie starts out as a comic book. <laughs> All right, so that's Michael Lewis's problem. He writes big, long books with no pictures about real people who don't wear costumes. Um, but, you know, one of my favorite little details that I heard in doing the story is occasionally, so people, you know, you'll get this contract and it'll say, I'm, you're making $10 million net, but of course you're only making whatever, a million or 500000 or whatever it is. But then if the studio actually makes more money than they were expecting, but still not enough to make a profit, they'll actually tip people. They'll actually come back and say, hey, we did it. We did okay. Here's, you know, here's some extra money. Just write them a check? Yeah, just write them a check. Like, here's 50000 Not that we made a profit. Here. I'm taking out a check for you. How much you want for the podcast today? I get $2? Well, I'm, uh, <laughs> I have a $10 million net contract. All right, $2. <laughs> Alex. Bloomberg. All right. I think that does it for us today. Uh, please send us your comments, questions, planetmoney at npr.org. And by all means, come to the blog, npr.org slash money, to check out links to Edward J. Epstein's book, The Hollywood Economist, and to see a trailer for the movie Gone in 60 Seconds. I'm Alex Bloomberg. And I'm David Kestenbaum. Thank you for listening. what you say you are, a The way you shades, the spotlights here can burn holes through the stage. Down through the basement, past the Indian graves where the dinosaurs laid and out through China, nearly misses airliners, magnified times five. That's pointed at the rhyme of ricochets off the moon and sets the forest blaze. Now that's important to say, cause even with all that, most of us don't want it to fade.